And uh, so we were out, and thank you, Dad, for preaching a phenomenal message. I haven't heard all of it, but I've been listening to it. What a great response Wednesday night. If you haven't heard that sermon by my father, the, uh, uh, he, he preached the day after. That was the sermon title, and it was the day after our election. Regardless of what side you voted on or what you wanted to happen, if you haven't heard that, you need to go to our website, uh, and you need to find that sermon. Thank you, Dad, for preaching that. This morning I preach, be careful what you wish for. Don't get your priorities wrong. Don't, don't ask God to give you all these temporal, physical blessings and your soul starve to death. But tonight I want to preach to you by the help of the Lord. And, and to be honest, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. I want to preach on how to handle the Jerichos. How to handle Jericho. Jericho was an obstacle. Jericho was a, a, a city in the midst of the promise. That they could not have the promise until they conquered Jericho. And I have watched, I said it this morning and I'm going to say it again. I'm so thankful. As I have watched so many of you this year grow, and I, I don't say that lightly, and I hope you, you're, you're, you're here, and I'm not going to call out names, that's not what it is, but I think you're catching what I'm throwing. I've watched you seek the Lord. I've watched you determine in your mind to grab closer and to walk closer, whether it's in your attendance or, or your ministry or your worship or your giving, whatever. I've watched you say, God, I want to walk with you. Some of you still face some of those Jerichos. And I want to preach to you how to handle Jericho. Would you just bow your head? We're not going to read a text. We'll get in that in a moment. But would you bow your head and would you say, Lord, let this speak to me. Father, the word of God is so incredible because it speaks to the church at the same time it preaches and speaks to the individual. I'm asking right now, Lord, that every person here, as we begin to go through the expository understanding of Joshua, would you let us see our own situation and our own self and where we are in light of your word as we teach the word. Let the word be alive to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You can be seated if you'll help me just a little bit. I want to continue what, what has been going. And I want to continue to help you understand the, what exactly happened when the children of Israel left the wilderness and got to the promised land. Um, back in May, I think it was May 25th, 2016, that's at least when I created the document. It's a Wednesday night, so I'm assuming that I, I preached this on a Wednesday night. Many times the, the date that is on the document is the date that, that I preached it because it's the last time I opened it up and edited it. So I'm pretty confident it was a Wednesday night. I preached a message entitled, You Have Never Been This Way Before. That the children of Israel, they had, they had been in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. Then God brings them out, a, 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 a captive, subservient, beat-down nation. And they really weren't even a nation. They were a ragtag group of people that could go back to Abraham's lineage. And, and so they, they come into the wilderness and God brings them in a brand new place. They had not really been in control of their own destinies before. And God... Uh, teaches them and, and talks to them and gives them the law. And, and then, of course, they falter, they fail, and they walk into the wilderness, or they walk through the wilderness for 40 years because of their disbelief. 
But then they finally get to the moment that they had all been waiting for. We're finally going to the promised land. And so as they stood there on that bank, and I appreciate you can go back and listen to it. The easiest way is to get a hold of our media department. They can burn you a CD of that. But, but I preach you've never been this way before. And for many of us, this has been a year that you, it's a watershed year for you. It's a year where you have gotten closer to God and more determined to walk with God and live for God than perhaps you've ever been. And you've never quite been in this place before. But I want to take you a little bit further. Not just to walk into the promised land. Not to just leave that, that wilderness wandering. Not to just leave that circular motion. I preached a, on the processionary caterpillars. That there is a type of caterpillar that they, they always follow each other. And they lay down a trail. And so it's, they line up head to tail and they will follow. And scientists have taken those caterpillars and they have put them, say, on top of a of a, of a potted plant or a, one of those terracotta pots, something that's circular and if they put the at the right time and they begin to put them there those caterpillars are so ingrained just to follow that they'll just follow each other in a circle and they'll never try to get water, they'll never try to get food because their instinct is just to go and sometimes we get in that place of wandering. It's just over and over, same thing. You never get anywhere. You're spinning your wheels. But I'm, I'm ready to take you past that, through the, the Jordan River and into the promise. And the best way to do that is to understand the Jericho that faces you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. We're going to stay in this book almost exclusively. For the remainder of the sermon, we're going to go a bit verse by verse or at least portion by portion. And I want to teach you how do you handle the Jerichos. Joshua chapter 6. Let's start with verse 1 through 5. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel and none went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city. I want you to pay close attention to that. You shall compass the city. That means they hadn't done that yet. You shall compass the city, all ye men of war. And go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And on the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Before him. I want to preach three points in case you're trying to figure out how long I'm going to preach. I don't guarantee that each portion will be the same length. One may be longer than the other. So you can't hold me to that. But at least you'll know if I'm a third done, two thirds done, or three thirds done. The first thing I want to talk to you is what do you need to do before the fight? The second thing I want to talk to you is what do you need to do during the fight? And the last thing we're going to get to is what do you do after the victory? And so I want you to, uh, to help me out a little bit before the fight. I, you know, the, I, 
we, we've gotten in this mindset, and I do understand, we're living in a, a very volatile world. We're living in a world where violence is not just something you, you hear about. It's becoming a daily uh, part of life, and it's unfortunate. And, and war and rumors of war and unrest. They, there, there was another protest down in downtown today that, that got a little uh, 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 heated. There, we, we're seeing this no matter what has happened. And because of that and because of a politically correct society, the church unfortunately is backing off this understanding of warfare but I, I know that, that we, we don't like to talk about it we like to preach that God is love and God is peace and all of that is rightfully so but can I tell you today it is still true that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and spirits and rulers of darkness in high places it's still this understanding that there is a God and there is a Satan and those two are at war with each other your flesh is daily warring with your spirit and vice versa and so you and I have have got to understand that the Christian is absolutely in a in a war, a battle. We are still the soldiers of the cross, and we uh, have to be careful that we don't back out of that. It is still very much a war, a fight, a battle. But I like to know this: we're more than conquerors through them that are in Christ Jesus. I remember growing up and we would have those testimony services and, and uh, we, we're getting away from that when sometimes Brother Justin uh, tries to open up the testimony. Y'all clamp up and, and, and your lips are tight. You don't want to say anything. Please don't do that on uh, Tuesday the 22nd. You have what, two, two, two and a half weeks or so. Make sure you got a testimony to give the Lord when we come to that Tuesday service because I'm going to give you the mic. I'm not going to do a lot of talking. But... Uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. I was going somewhere to come back to me in a moment. But, uh, uh, oh, I know what it was. There it is. See, just had to let that rabbit get back on the trail for a moment. But I remember as a kid, a young person, invariably somebody would say, I've read the back of the book and we win. Can I tell you, though, that's not an entirely true uh, 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 thing. The church wins. The question is, are you going to be in the church? It's the fact that those that are warring with Christ are going to win. And so I want to tell you a little bit about it. But here's what I love about what do you do before the fight. Now I'm going to use uh, several things. One, one of the, there, there's an incredible series that I call them commentaries, but they're so much more than that by Warren Wiersbe. Uh, and, and they're called the B series. B, uh, in, in the book of Joshua, his book on that is called Be Strong. And uh, so I'm going to use some of that from, from him. But I want you to realize today that you've got to remember that you fight from victory, not for the victory. When, when they, those children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, uh, they were not going to fight for the victory. God had already promised them the victory. And so when they did, and, and I know they didn't fight in the, in the terms of warfare that you and I understand, but if you will, when they went uh, and, and compassed that city, they were already guaranteed the victory if they would just do what God told them to do. 
Can I tell you today that you and I stand in a position of guaranteed victory if you'll walk with God because God has already triumphed over every spiritual enemy. He defeated Satan in the wilderness. He defeated Satan on the cross. He defeated Satan in the resurrection. He defeated Satan in the ascension. And now he's still interceding for you and I. If you'll walk with him and live with him, there is no way in God's earth that you're ever going to come against an enemy that you cannot overcome. He's already done it. What is Romans 8.31 says? If God be for us. Now you know that verse. Let me help me out. If God be for us. Say it one more time. If God be for us. You need to get that verse in your mind until it rolls off your tongue easy as Acts 2.38 or, or uh, Psalms 23. The Lord is there. I want you to look at some of the factors that were already in place before they ever did anything at that city. First off, the land of Canaan, that, that promised land that they were going to, it was divided up into city-states. And what that meant was each city had a king. Uh, and, and you can see that. But they, they were not very large. You know that Ai, which was this next city they went to, and they got beat because of some sin that had happened. But, but the city of Ai... Uh, it only had about 12,000 people, and that's not a lot. You can think about how big a city would be, only 12,000 people. As they have begun, the archaeologists have begun to excavate parts of Jericho. They, they say that the city of Jericho during this time covered only eight acres. I don't know if you can envision how big an acre is, but I'll help you out. The property that this church is on is right at an acre, just a hair bigger. So if you can think of a square, put eight of these together, that's how big the wall, or the, how big the city of Jericho was. It had two very high walls, two parallel walls. They were strong walls. They were walls probably of both stone stacked on top of each other and also earthen bulwarks. It was, it was a strong city. But it wasn't a huge city. They weren't coming to fight New York City or Chicago. They were coming a city that's only eight acres or so. It's that same city that the ten of the spies, or actually all twelve of the spies, they, they saw it and they knew that they could do it. But uh, ten of those spies got con convinced that Israel could not conquer eight square acres, or eight acres rather. Did you notice that when we first read, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get somewhere, but just hang with me. Let me set the, the stage. Did you notice that it said the city of Jericho was straightly shut up, none went in and none went out. But later, the Lord told uh, uh, Joshua, he said, go and compass the city. Now, in my mind, I, I mean, I, I played Legos, and, and we didn't have all the cool Legos they have now. You had just a very, you had the city Legos, and you had a little bit of space Legos in there, and then you had the medieval Legos with the castles. Those were my favorite. And I've had my own battles with that. You, had the, you can make the little Lego catapult, and you can have the horses. Everything I know about castle warfare and sieging a city was that you would surround the city, and you would try to cut off them from going out and getting food. And, and you would throw those trebuchets, and, and the catapults would go, and the darts would go, and they would pour down the boiling oil. That's what I get when I think of a city being straightly shut up. But the city of Jericho had already convinced themselves that something was going to happen even before the children of Israel got there. 
They heard that the children of Israel were coming. They had heard. Remember Rahab, when the spies went to Rahab, she said, we know what your God has done. We have seen and we have heard with our ears what God has done and our hearts are melting in fear because we know your God is powerful. When Israel exited Egypt and they walked through the, that wilderness, those victories were spreading in Canaan and the people there in, in Jericho, they were literally in a panic because they knew there is no way that we can make this. There's a great reason why. If I could bring your mind to Deuteronomy 2 or 7 or 11 or 32, he would promise things like this. I will send my fear. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people whom you come and will make your enemies turn their backs on you. That God goes before you and he does things that you don't even see so that when you get to the Jericho, they're already shaken in their boots. There's another place, I love it, I can't remember what part of the Pentateuch it's in, but, but there's a verse that says, the Lord will send hornets before. I mean, angels, I understand that, and, 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 and the, the warriors of God, I understand it, but God says, I'm going to have fun today. Maybe God was bored, I don't know, but he said, I'm going to send hornets over there and discomfort those people so much by simple hornets that when the children of Israel get there, they won't even have to fight my hornets, and those were not supernatural hornets. Those were the same hornets you know of. They'll do my work for me. Can I just tell somebody right now, God's already won the battle for you. They're not scared of you, and rightfully so, but they're scared of the God you serve. That problem, that situation, that Jericho has already found out that the God you serve is greater than anything else. And so one of the things that happened before Jericho, or Joshua even stepped foot at Jericho, is the fear of the Lord had already gone before him. Not only that, but it was the promise of the Lord. In Jericho, it's the tense of the verb. You can read it in, in Joshua 5, 13 through 15, that the angel of the Lord came to Joshua before they ever reached there. And Later on, in, in verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, I have given Jericho into your hand. That's a very important tense. It didn't say, I'm going to give you the victory. He didn't say, it will happen. He said, I'm already giving you the victory. Can I tell someone today that if you'll grab hold of those promises, if you'll begin to read your Bible, if you'll meditate on God's word, if you'll see where God has promised you the victory, if you will see where God will help you, and he says it will bring, Romans 10, 17, he will generate faith in your hearts. And another says that if you'll reckon on these promises and obey what God tells you to do, it will come to pass. What did Jesus say? Be of good cheer, disciples. I have overcome the world. Our Galatians 5, they that, are, uh, they that are of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Or John that said, now the judgment of this world, the prince of this world will be cast out. God has already promised if you'll walk with him, he'll take you past the Jerichos in your life. And then it's that third thing. He sent the fear of the Lord first. The second was the promises of the Lord. But this is so important, the instructions of the Lord. 
It's a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer that wrote this. Joshua did not take the city by a clever human military tactic. The strategy was the Lord's. Now, I don't, I, I don't come from a, a long lineage of military personnel. My grandfather was in World War II, but, but uh, uh, I think he was drafted, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, I, I don't come from a, a long line of, of military. So strat, military strategy I may not understand, but I like football. I don't know if any of you caught this, but yesterday uh, in, in college football, what, they're, they're, I can't remember the team, it's coming to me in a moment, but their AstroTurf is blue. They have blue AstroTurf. It's not, it's not the, uh, the Denver team, but they have blue AstroTurf, and, and then their, their letters in the AstroTurf in the end zone is red. Well, it just so happens that their uniforms are the same color blue with red lettering. And so there was a play yesterday where, where they were going to kick it into, the other team was going to kick it into the end zone. And that guy was standing there in the end zone ready to go. But there was another guy on the other side of the end zone that laid down. He was camouflaged. <laughs> he laid down in the end zone. And he waited until they kicked the ball to the guy that, that received it. And then he started taking off running and everybody was going to go to him. And then all of a sudden the guy back there in the end zone popped up. Hey, where did he come from? And they, they lateraled the ball backwards to him. And he got a pretty good gain strategy. Football coaches and military uh, generals, they stake everything on finding the right strategy. How can we win? And don't you know Joshua in his mind had already known when we go into the promised land, when we go there, there's going to be Jericho and Ai. How are we going to do it? And he was already counting how many, arm, how many soldiers he had and, and how are we going to do this? And God says, it's not going to be your strategy, man. It's not going to be by what you can do. It's not by the works of flesh that this is going to come. He said, let me help you. God's strategy never makes sense to the human realm. 5,000 hungry people sitting in front of them. Nobody had any bread. Nobody had enough to eat. Jesus said, I'll give me a little lunch and I'll take five loaves and two fishes and I'll feed 5,000 or 10,000. The plan that God had for Jericho was absolutely incredulous but God's wisdom is so far above yours and ours and I want to spend some time on this when God God delights in in kind of doing things where you and I would never think about it he told Gideon we preached a little bit about Gideon's fleece this morning but he told Gideon he said the way you're going to defeat the Midianites is I need you to get you a bunch of of clay pots pitchers and I want you to get you some some uh, uh, torches and I want you to put them in the clay pots and when I tell you I want you to shout and break the clay pots and hold up the torches and the Midianites killed themselves trying to get away from torches it don't make sense it's David with a sling fighting a nine-foot-tall Goliath with a sword and a spear the size of a two-by-four. It doesn't make sense. But this was God's instructions. And this is where I, I told some, some people today that the story of the children of, of, of Israel and the walls of Jericho is such a common story that we sometimes, it's easy to read through it real fast because it plays in our mind. But hopefully today, not that I want to shake up your theology, but hopefully I let you see that it's not exactly as cut and dry as you and I have made it out to be. Not everybody marched around the walls of Jericho. 
can you imagine? They said that there was nine, uh, they, they said there was 600 armed men. They did a census in, in, in numbers and they found out that there were 600 armed men. That made up the army. You have their wives, you have their children, you have servants, you have other men that were not in the army. There was some two million to three million people and you're going to tell me that two or three million people marched around eight acres? We've had a, we've had a march here or two around the church and we start running into the back of each other a hundred people in this church. Can you imagine two or three million? It's not exactly what happened. The Bible says that, that um, they were, were going to... Uh, he, he said, I want you to grab the armed men. March them around Jericho once a day for six days. After those armed men, I want you to follow seven priests, each blowing a trumpet. And then there will be priests that carry the ark would come next. And then there was a rear guard that protected that. We've always said, or at least I have, maybe not you, but we've always said that it was quiet, deathly quiet as they marched around the walls of Jericho. That was not at all the case. No one was allowed to talk. No one was allowed to shout. But there were trumpets that were blasting while they were going. They were playing the trumpets. I began to do a little research in that. And you'll find in this time of the Pentateuch and the law of Moses and, and all of that, there were two types of trumpets that they had. They had silver trumpets. These were the trumpets the priest would use. I mean, they didn't have telephones, they didn't have emails, they couldn't send out a call. And so when you were ready to get up camp and go to the next place, it would have taken years for the word to get down through everybody. And so they had these silver trumpets and there was a certain way they could blow that trumpet in a certain sound or a song that everyone would hear and they would hear that silver trumpet blow and they would get up and they would start going. It was a trumpet they blew for war. It's kind of like the old fife and drum corps if you've ever seen them. That they, Those drums were not there just to make noise. Those fifes were not there just to make a song but they would dictate the speed of the march of the army. They would dictate whether you go forward or retreat but then second of all there was a ram's horn and you notice the Bible says that these were blowing the ram's horn the ram's horn was blown. It, it, it was what you found when the year of Jubilee was to be given. When there were special times of celebrations, the priests would blow the ram's horn to proclaim liberty throughout the land. Can I tell you and just remind you today? They didn't blow the silver trumpets because they weren't going to war. They blew the ram's horn because they were leaving captivity, they were leaving the wilderness, and they were walking into the promise. When they stepped over that Jordan River, in their mind, they were already thinking, we've arrived. This is where God told me we were going to be all the way back to Abraham, our forefather. He promised us this was where it's going to be. And so they didn't care what Jericho looked like in front of them. There was a priest that said, this is a day of victory. This is a day of jubilee. And they begin to blow that trumpet and it filtered back to two million plus people and they were not hearing the trumpet of war they were hearing the trumpet of liberty and he said if you'll do that marching six times or, or marching six days each uh, once a day and then on that seventh day I want you to march six times and then on that seventh time I want, when you hear a loud, a long blast of the ram's horn, I want you to shout, and the walls shall fall down. Did you get that? It's a promise. 
Not they might fall down. Not if you shout loud enough. Not if you shout long enough. Not if you do this. It says if you'll just follow my instructions, the walls will fall and God's promises don't fail. He's already won the battle. You've just got to look at it. I'm telling somebody right now, there is a Jericho in your life that's sitting there. And maybe you have a little bit of those 10 spies negative attitude to it. You're looking at that situation and you're saying, Lord, I know I should get through it. I know I should get past it. But God, I'm just a little concerned that it's not going to happen. Remember the, the 10 spies? They said, we know that land is awesome, but we were in their sight like grasshoppers. They began to speak for the enemy. But can I tell you that just before the fight, you and I need to understand that if God has told you you can make it, you can make it. That's what you do before the fight. Let's see what they did during the fight. Follow along with me, Joshua chapter 6. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let those seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. He said unto the people, pass on, come past the city. But let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that those seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn passed before the Lord and blew with the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men that went before the priests that blew the trumpets and their reward, or the re-reward, which simply means a rear guard, uh, they were coming behind it. And Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout. Nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you to shout. Then you shall shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark went on continually. And blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them. And the re-reward came behind them. Uh, and, and the second day they compassed the city once. And they came back. It happened for six days. Verse 15, and it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the manner that they had seven times. Only that day they compassed the city seven times and it came to pass at the seventh time that the priests blew with the trumpets and Joshua said unto the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the victory. Let me tell you what you do in the middle of of the fight. If I could take you, and we're not there yet in our study of Hebrews, I cannot wait until we get to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. But if I could give you a little glimpse of what it says, the Bible says, Hebrews 11:30, and by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Not notice now, now they did all of those things. They shouted and blew the ram's horn and marched, but it did not say it's when they shouted. It was not because they ran or they compassed or they walked. It says by faith. Cannot tell someone here today, don't give up. Faith is believing when you don't seem to have any way to believe. Faith is saying, Lord, I hear the promise. I know what you're saying. Everything coming against me says it can't be done. But if God said it, I believe it, it's settled. Those children of Israel, now this is a high moment in their life. Very quickly after this, they dissolve back into a horrible uh, uh, 
idolatrous nation. But right now they're walking with as much faith as they have ever had. They remember that the Lord opened the Red Sea. They remembered that the Egyptian army was destroyed. They remembered that God cared for his people in the wilderness. He defeated the great kings. He gave Israel their land. He opened the Jordan River. He brought them into the promised land. And so there was those in that place said, how in the world could he fail? Can I ask you a question? Has God ever failed you? I don't see any hands. Let me ask you again. Has God ever failed you? No. So why would he fail you now? Why in the world when you're faced with a Jericho would God fail you? So here's what Joshua does first. God spoke to Joshua. Then Joshua talked to the priest. It was important for the ark of the Lord to be in the proper place. It was the presence of the Lord. You better not ever try to fight a battle if the presence of the Lord is not where it needs to be in your life. Don't try to manufacture it. Don't try to bring it and use it for your glory. They can get that present. That ark of the Lord was stolen when the sons of Samuel, or the sons of Eli rather, tried to, to, to do things wrong. But Joshua said it's got to be right here. When they cross the river, the ark is mentioned 16 times. Here, when they enter into Jericho, the ark is mentioned eight times. You've got to have the presence of the Lord. Joshua instructed the soldiers, probably not even all of them. Again, how in the world could 6,000 soldiers properly march around eight acres? So he gathered the men of war and he told them what to do. He said, I want you to do there. But I can imagine... That as, and I don't know how, and I'm not going to even try to suggest how many were marching. It was said, it was said in the, uh, the Civil War, especially at the beginning of the Civil War, when it seemed to be a novelty. It hadn't reached the destruction of Gettysburg or Vicksburg. But they said that, that in some of the very first battles, the Battle of Manassas, things of that nature, that those in the city, they thought it was kind of an ingenious thing. They, they got dressed up in their Sunday finest and they packed up lunches and they went and sat on the heights while they watched firing and, and cannons going back and forth. And it was, it was distant so you didn't see all the blood and gore. And they kind of, kind of looked back. I just get this visual image of Jericho. Compassed with these soldiers and there's these trumpets that are blowing. Maybe it was a song, I don't know. But here around, there's some two million people, and they're watching. They did it one time the first day. I don't know how long it took him. They did it the second day, the third day, and the fourth day. Can I tell you that it's important that when God gives you instructions, that you follow them completely. But I want you to listen to me carefully. Joshua told them, he said, don't open your mouth. Don't say one word. Now, I have no idea. I have seen a, one of the greatest uh, documentaries of, of the, the, the siege of Jericho, the greatest documentary you can find in, in VeggieTales. And you can see that. They did a phenomenal, I'm sure it's very true, they had slushies and all of that. But you can see the documentary of Joshua and the Great Wall in, in VeggieTales. I don't know if it happened quite like that. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know that, that they were made fun of by the Jerichoans. Again, I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what I'm going to use. Because they were scared. They were waiting for fire to fall. 
They were waiting for earthquakes. They were waiting for an army of God to sweep down. And I promise you, as they huddled behind, these people of Jericho huddled behind their wall, they watched, and they had never seen anything like this before. As quietly, with only the noise of a trumpet, they watched him go. It frightened them. But there were no ramps against the wall. There were no battering rams pulled up. There were no catapults beginning to be erected. And after one march around and they go back to their city, I know the people of Jericho kind of breathed deeply and said, hmm, I wonder what's going on. But the next day, here comes the trumpets and their nerves begin to grate behind the walls and they wonder what's going to happen. And for six days, this begins to happen. Can I tell you today, that that week, those six days, was a test of the Jewish people's faith and patience. Don't you know, after wandering in the wilderness, some of them perhaps for 40 years, they were ready to, to put down roots. They were ready to say, this is my land. This is where I'm going to start farming. This is where I'm going to build my house. And they didn't want to wait those six days. You know that it seemed like a futile waste of time for an entire week to just watch a group of people march around Jericho one time. How do I know impatience was bad? Because if you look at all of Israel's life, Impatience always got the best of them. It's a king, Saul, that could not wait for Samuel to get there. And so he offers the sacrifice himself and God curses him for it. It was one of those sins of Israel, impatience. And God was telling these people through this this six days of walking around one time. He was saying that it's through faith and it's through patience. Read Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. Through patience and faith that God's people inherit what he has promised. God's not in a hurry. God's timing is not your timing. You heard Sister Harding talk about three, three and a half years that she waited. Some of you have your own Jericho moments where you've waited a long time. But don't get impatient. God knows what he's doing. There was something else that God likes to test us on. If the week schedule was a test of, if that week-long schedule was a test of their patience, then that silence that they were commanded to do was a test of their self-control. If I said, let's have a minute of silence and we put the mic down, we could do it for about 15 seconds and then somehow somebody start coughing, somebody will start doing something because we don't like to be quiet. James, the book of James says that if you can't control your tongue, you can't control your body. And what good is a soldier if there's no discipline? Now, I could take a long time and get off on a mighty big tangent. But if you'll catch what I'm giving you right now, that in the midst of your Jerichos, in the midst of your problems, when you're wondering, God, do you even hear what I'm doing? And God, are you going to answer this? This is a mighty weird way, Lord, that you're going to make these walls come down just walking around. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silenced. How many times, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, 
but I can see the evidence on Facebook and social media and I can see the evidence in your talk. How many times we get into a circumstance where God isn't moving as fast as we want to move. And what do we start doing? We start running our mouth. And we start talking. And we start, because here's what was going to happen. Joshua said, don't make a sound. Don't even open your mouth. Because Joshua knew, invariably, if they would open their mouth, that first day they'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, take that, Jericho. Yeah, I got it. We got it. Second day, what's going on? This is getting boring. Third day, you think God's going to do this? I don't know. We've been wandering for 40 years. Now we're here for three days. You think God brought us all the way out here? Fourth day, you think God brought us all the way out here for us to starve to death outside the walls of Jericho this close to our promise? And if they'd have started opening their mouth before the miracle happened, they would have ended up wandering another 40 years. Y'all didn't get it. But I'm preaching as hard as I can ever preach that sometimes you got to know, be still and know that I am God. You don't have to talk about it to anybody. You don't have to gripe about it to anybody. You don't have to doubt with anybody. But you can rest assured that if God said you're going to get there, then you are going to get there. Just hang on a moment and watch what God is going to do. Those children of Israel begin to watch as that sixth or that seventh day came and those six things went around and then on that seventh time it said when you hear that trumpet blow loud I want you to shout this was what I felt when brother uh, Cannon was talking about take that first step Between that first step and the shout sometimes seems to be incredibly long. You ever had a moment in your life that was not, maybe you almost got in a car accident or maybe something about happened and and, and you were wondering, "Uh, Sister Ashley, I heard you got a deer the other night. And, uh, you know, you're kind of wondering how it is and it's all about to just, you ever had that moment, uh, it's like your eyes, or your, your life flashed before your eyes? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's not even a long time, but it seems incredibly long. When those children of Israel marched down and they were going to cross the Jordan River, he said, I want to take the the Ark of the Covenant, and I think that was borne by six priests. He said, I want you to take it, and when all of you are in the water, the water is going to stop upstream and it's going to get dry. Can you imagine that first priest that, that... fell in that, or that put his foot in that water. And it was not some little tiny stream. It was a pretty impressive flow of water. I've fly fished and waded in streams and that stream wants to beat you and you got to fight it. And here they are carrying a golden box. And, and I know it wasn't that long before the last group of priests walked in there. But I'm quite confident the first one that had to put their foot in and nothing happened right away. It seemed like it was forever. That first step. And I'm pretty confident from the first time that someone began to watch march around that city until the time that God said shout, it seemed forever. Some of you, you took a first step last week 
Some of you, you took another first step or you took a first step a couple weeks ago. I've been watching some of you kind of branch out by faith and you were saying, Lord, I know you can do it. I know you can handle my situations. I know that everything is gonna be in your hands and you got out that first step and you were feeling pretty good in that second step. But come the seventh day and you've watched a march for some uh, 12 times around, I know that in your mind you're starting to get weary and well-doing. But can I tell you, if you'll keep on, there's a shout coming. He said, don't worry. What I started, I will finish. I will finish. So they blew that trumpet. And don't you know when that trumpet began to blow... The hair began to raise up on the back of some Israelite and they begin to say, this is my moment. I've been waiting for this all night. I've been waiting for this for a long time. And here's what I felt Sunday. I felt that there has been in behind this pulpit, there has been messages, whether it's been me or the other ministers of this church, there has been some priests been walking before you and they've been laying down a path. I felt like there have been spiritual warfare going on. Our prayer meetings are not the largest attended of our services, but there are faithful men and women that gather here on a Tuesday night or gather here on a Sunday night and they have been praying and they've been praying for you and you don't even know it. Sometimes you might be the last to get in line but if you'll hang with us the word has been going forth and the preachers have been preaching and the warriors have been marching but now it's time for you and I to be able to get involved in what God wants to do in this church and what God wants to do in your life. This is your moment. Here comes the trumpet and I can hear that loud blast on a ram's horn and they begin to hear that sound that said victory is coming. This is the jubilee. This is our promised land and when that long blast on a ram's horn echoed through the corridors of Jericho and it bounced off the the, the cliffs around there. Suddenly someone I know it didn't happen all at once because they were human. You ever kind of didn't want to be the first to do something? As a kid especially when we were in, in Louisiana I could sit Anywhere in front of my parents. And I always sat on the front row right about where you are, brother. Uh, Jared, at least until I got too tired. And then I went back and crawled under the pew and fell asleep. But I, in my mind, I never wanted to be the first to the altar. And so I would pray. I'd be four, five, six years old. I would pray, Lord, please let somebody come to the altar so I can go to the altar. And there'd be days no one would go to the altar. And I'd go home going, I couldn't pray. We're all like that. Don't you know? When that ram's horn blew, it took one brave soul. And as that one voice echoed, somebody around them said, oh, maybe it's going to happen. And their voice began to lift up and down the line until two million or three million long began to raise their voice. God, this is what you promised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as every voice began to raise, they heard another sound that began to come. The sound of mortar crumbling. The sound of rocks and boulders and whatever plaster or whatever it was that made that wall. And those walls began to fall 
down flat. I don't know how you're taking what I'm preaching, but some of you, can I just help you out? You may not have been doing the preaching. You may not have been carrying the word of God. You might not have even been in the prayer room in a spiritual warfare. But you can absolutely tonight be part of the voice of the shout of victory that says I don't see it yet. But I'm hearing what the preacher's preaching. And I've been watching how people been praying. And I want what you're singing out Lord. So I'm going to raise my voice along with the others. And I'm going to let a shout go forth. on somebody needs to stand with me right now we may or may not get to the third part I preached part of that I preached a couple weeks ago you've got to eradicate every sin and thing in your life and that's what the children of Israel had to do they after the victory they had to make sure there was not one person standing in that city it seems brutal but that's what God said he didn't want anything to hinder them only people that were saved were the ones in that upper room with a red cord hanging out in the home of Rahab he told him he said after the victory don't keep anything for yourself let it be for God I'll give you all the other cities and all the other spoils but this first city this first victory belongs to me the Lord said and you, you know Achan didn't do that and, and it caused a horrid chaos in the city of Ai I, I want to go back. I just, I'm just stuck on that. We know that the, the word of God, every line, every jot of the I or the crossing of the T, we know that every word in the, in the Bible is breathed from the Lord. And so when the Holy Spirit directed the writer of Hebrews, he said, I want you to tell my people I want you to use this by faith the walls of Jericho fell he said to old writer of Hebrews I want you to encourage the people of God to trust the promises of the Lord and obey his instructions no matter how impossible the situation might be you and I may never stand in front of the walls of Jericho You and I may never capture a city. But there are challenges and enemies that face you each and every day in your walk with God. And the only way to conquer it is to walk with Him and say, God, it's your battle. It's your fight. Philip Brooks said this, Don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be better men and women. Don't pray for your tasks to be equal to your powers, but pray that your power might be greater than the task. Somebody needs to shout. Somebody needs to say, I've listened to the word of God go in front of me for days and days and days. I've watched prayer warriors transverse in front of me. I've heard the voice, I've heard, or rather I've heard the sound of trumpets, I've heard the worship. But I've come to tell somebody here tonight, it's time for you to lend your voice to the equation. 
it's time for you to shout for the victory has already come there was nothing that there was no it was not the the synchronicity of those people marching that caused the wall to fall it was not the tenor or the 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 the, the voice that they shouted that shook the walls until they fell was God and God alone that said I promised you a victory and the victory you're gonna get I wonder right now I want you to look at your own Jericho I want you to look at that insurmountable odd that faces you I want you to get in your mind's eye. I want you to get that thing that's in front of you, that laughs at you, that mocks you, that has caused you to believe the report of the enemy much more than the report of the Lord. Would you get that in front of you right now? That need that you are constantly praying for. That circumstance that is constantly wearing at you and beating you down. Would you get that in front of your mind right now? I need you to get a Jericho in front of you. I have done everything I can do tonight to preach this to the best of my human ability. I've picked up the ark of God, if you will, and I've walked throughout this place. I've brought the word of God as best I know how. I watched as people begin to pray. I believe the victory. We've sung these songs and we've worshipped. But now it's up to you. Can you shout with the walls still standing. Can you shout though it seems that this is the absolute stupidest thing you've ever thought about? Can you lift your voice in the face of the adversity? And if you can, then I wonder right now, I don't have a trumpet and I can't blow it, but I wonder right now if somebody would begin to lift your voice, if somebody would begin to let your praise go forth, if somebody would begin to join with others. begin to fall one of those parapets begin to fall 
And as they begin to lift their voice in one mind, in one accord, the walls fell. When they were in the upper room, one mind, in one accord, there suddenly came a sound like a rushing mighty wind. You can see it all throughout the history. All you have to do is get to the place where you lift your voice and you lift your hands and you lift your face and you lift your praise. Hallelujah. I wonder if there's anybody that now would like to march through some fallen walls and say, I'm gonna go straight ahead into a promise. Would you come tonight? Would you let your praise precede you? Would you let your shout come before you? <laughs>